Hello and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Malcolm Cano, and welcome back to another episode of Pixel Hunt, uh, the show about video game news, controversies, critical analysis, really anything video game related. Uh, my co-hosts are running a little bit late, but in the meantime, we will start off, as we normally do, with some of the new releases. And there's actually some pretty good ones. Um, there's new DLC being released for the uh, for Xenoblade Chronicles 2, uh, Nintendo's smash hit, a really fantastic, uh, very long game. Uh, but if you enjoyed yourself in uh, Xenobra- Xenoblade Chronicles 2, uh, I think you might find that you'll enjoy this one. Uh, but we had the release of Undertale, uh, Undertale and Switch released yesterday. So did Blind for the PSVR and PC. Uh, and then coming up, we have Life is Strange 2, Episode 1. I believe it is either the French or the French-Canadian developers uh, that brought you a really fantastic iteration of a time-traveling youth uh, set amidst uh, you know problems with being a teenager and whatnot. Um, and that's moved forward. And they actually have confirmed that for Life is Strange uh, 2... The, it is taking on an anthology or an episodic form, so we're going to see all new characters, all new different stories, uh, and a new supernatural conceit. So the last one was time travel, uh, and it was a really, really interesting and really fantastic way to show causality or going back in time. Um, we also have coming up uh, FIFA 19, a game in which everyone knew was coming, inevitably. Um, yeah, soccer. Uh, we joked about... Uh, we joked about, uh, what was it? Um, we joked about NBA 2K coming out and how inevitable that was. Well, just as inevitable is the 2019 FIFA. So, uh, speaking of which, uh, inevitably, my two hosts have returned. Hello, guys. Hello. Greetings. Hi. Uh, you know, feel free to introduce yourselves just for anyone who's uh, new to the program. Yeah, hello. I'm Mike. And I'm Jim. And, uh... I'm Malcolm once again. Hello. Uh, everything okay? You guys look a little out of breath. Yeah, we had to run up the stairs. I'm glad. And from the parking lot. Yeah. Good times. And from the house. We actually sprinted here. Uh, the whole time. I'm yeah. glad. It's good cardio, really. Um, no, I was just going over some of the new releases. Um, Life is Strange 2 Episode 1 is coming out. It's an anthology series, and they've confirmed a completely new cast of characters. That's pretty good. Uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z is coming out on the Switch. The highly successful um, new Dragon Ball Z fighter. Really in-depth mechanics. Very fast-paced. Right. Uh, it looks fantastic. Uh, and, you know, that'll, that'll cover us until, until we start making the move into October. Uh, but now the, the engine is starting to rev up. The new releases are really starting to come out. And I think in October, November, December, as we get to that seasonal... Uh, that little seasonal window where we'll see a lot of really good games coming out. One of which is the new Call of Cthulhu game coming, which we're not being uh, like Cyanide Studios has nothing to do with this show or even the station. I just am really excited about it because it looks really cool and I love Lovecraft. Anyway, um, I I do have a couple of things uh, that I wanted to discuss with you guys. And so... (coughs) uh, Actually, uh, one of these is... And I wanted to try to... Because last show, we talked a lot about things in decline, uh, and it got a little depressing. So I thought I would try to start with something a little more positive. Uh, And that's Remedy Entertainment is adapting Alan Wake into a television series. Um, It's becoming... They're gonna... Yeah. 
Who's who's producing that? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> no, uh, executive pro- uh, the executive game creator, uh, Sam Lake, will serve as executive producer, while Peter Calloway, Legion producer and Cloak and Dagger writer, has been brought on as the showrunner. So the 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 create the game creator will be the executive producer for that one. Okay, uh, but uh, like what what station is picking it up? Uh, also, Sam Lake, I think, is the guy who wrote the first two Max Payne games. Oh. Oh, boy. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, the series is being pr- uh, produced in partnership with Contradiction Films, the Canadian production company, and it's worked on video game adaptations before, such as the Dead Rising Endgame and Mortal Kombat Legacy. Oh, well, eh, we've actually discussed a bit on the show about games foray into other types of media and how usually good video game movies are few and far between and even the good ones suffer from a lot of issues a lot of dissidence that comes between adapting a game into a more passive narrative experience here's Uh, a question what is a good one uh (laughs) uh, what's a good one yeah Way to put me on the spot, Mike. Because I'm yeah, trying exactly. Because all the ones because I'm thinking of. I can't of, think of any. There's, I'm sure there's a good one. Ready Player One does not count because it is not a video game it was movie. A book. It is, yeah, it was a book, and even so, like it, it references a ton of video game stuff. I, God, what was a good no, one? No, it, ha- it has to have been like a video game <sighs> all first. Right, all right, Mortal Kombat Annihilation was pretty okay. No, it's it was not. Fine. It wasn't great. <laughs> it, is not. it didn't win any awards, and sure, it had sure stupid, didn't. cheesy dialogue, but it at least did some things right by the series. There was, uh, what is it? Uh, a Final Fantasy animated film that was done, uh, I think it was like Phantoms or something. Shadows of Phantoms. It was a good movie. It was, it was supposed was a, to be good. It was pretty alright. wasn't great, but uh, that one was pretty okay. It. it Again, you do raise a fantastic point where it's hard to think of any video game movies that did exceptionally well. And we've seen, of course, the Warcraft film that actually had a ton of positive fan feedback and that a lot of people enjoyed. Critics didn't like it, but that's no, that's actually, you know what? Yeah, the, the Warcraft film, that is, I, I will cite that as a, it got good um, audience reception, poor critical reception. I'd still consider that a really, it was huge over in China, too. That's so. true. So it was successful. It was it was financially whether and, it was good or not right. as art <laughs> is debatable. Yes, um, speaking not as a diehard Warcraft as a fan. Film. Yeah, as as <laughs> as an example of a film. Speaking as a diehard Warcraft fan, even I have to admit, it's not that great of it a was, film. It was more... um, it was a lovely piece of fan service. Sure, um, but. Eh. How how true was it to the initial game? Where did you did it just um, did it do anything with the mechanics? Did it like did someone so, joke about having to wait a long time for their spell to recharge? What So the funny thing is the original the original Warcraft games, the Warcraft I don't know about Warcraft 1. I know this is true for Warcraft 2. I never actually played 1. Warcraft 2 had two campaigns, one for the humans and one for the orcs. And you played all the way through the story as one side, and so when you ended the campaign, your side just completely won. Mm-hmm. But the events of the two campaigns contradicted each other. Right. They weren't like, you do this one first, and then you do this one, and you have story all the way through. Uh-huh. It was, you do this one, and the Alliance wins, and you do this one, and the Horde wins, and 
which one's canon is just kind of up in the air. Yeah, it's whoever you it's whoever you like. It's yeah, it's whoever you want to win, you make win. And um, therein lies so the problem. The movie kind of had a really weird line to walk where they had to decide, okay, these are the events that we are going to say are the ones that led to Warcraft 3. So right. these are the ones that are canon, which means we need to decide which of these events we want to actually depict in the movie and how we're going to depict them. Right. In addition to which, they had all of the um, the lore and backstory that have been developed as a result of World of Warcraft that they also tried to jam in. Really, the thing they got the most references in for was World of Warcraft itself. Um, so you had, like, there's... One of the very last moments of the film, you see the camera panning down a river, and in quick succession, you see a murloc. Nice. Hear the murloc noise. There we go. And then see a fishing bobber, and hear the plink noise of, you caught a fish, and hear someone start reeling. (laughs) And then the camera is passed, and like the entire time the camera is following a, a bassinet that's floating down the river with Thrall in it. Okay. And so it's just this chain of, like, really fast um, World of Warcraft player... Right. It's it's like, we gotta, check, we gotta check those boxes, and we gotta check them fast. And, and they like did it Merlo. in, like, Fish. one, two, three, like, five-second span. Nice. Um, and I was just like, okay. That is one of... Sure. That is a huge... It's hu- dense. Yeah, it's a huge issue, because it's like, okay... So you've confined what is initially a format in which you can choose where a game goes into you need to have a cannon. There's no alternate endings. There's no horde win. There's no alliance win. You need to definitively say this is the story. And it removes a lot of like player agency and choice because it's a movie. So you, you have to let you have to make a decision about that. And so you inevitably have to say, like, all right, there's one linear story, and this is what happens. And then the second part, which is, like, how do we take what are mechanics and turn them into uh, movie-isms? Like, again, like, that's the thing, which is, like, how are we going to make Warcraft players feel like they're playing the game or put them back in that mind space when it's, like, okay, so, like, familiar sounds, familiar sights, murlocs, of course, um, and I think that, I, I, I think of all the series to, to adapt, there are some that are better than others. I think Alan Wake, uh, the, the psychological slow burn of a series that's about like running and hiding, uh, and, and the central character of Alan Wake. I think that's a good adaptation because it lends itself to a, to a series. Uh, Silent Hill, a lot of the times is referenced as an, as a, Silent Hill 1 is referenced as a passable uh, movie adaptation silent hill revelations it kind of started to fly off the rails and it it hit a lot of issues because you start getting video game logic mixed up with your movie logic and some things just just absolutely fall apart um there's a there a ton of stuff like sometimes the the villain plans get really 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 dumb especially in like in Silent Hill the the idea was that all right we're going to dive real deep into this lore for a hot second i'm pr- i'm going to try not to get too into it and risk alienating everyone listening to this but the goal of these Silent Hill games is to dev- is to 
work your way through a metaphor for your troubled psyche as a protagonist. And okay, so that's two. That's two and two? four. Okay, what's one? One, Her- one is Demon Cult. Demon Cult? One and three, that's right. Demon Cult. Okay. Two, two and four, <laughs> working through a metaphor for your psyche. Okay, so Demon Cult. And in the movie, there's a Demon Cult, and they're trying to bring about a demon. And in the movie... Uh, they had a character I- inevitably figure out a way to bring the demon up and resurrect it or whatever. And in the game, that is very much the opposite of what you end up doing. Uh, and so it struggles because it, it's like, oh, well, we got to set up a uh, we have to set up a sequel, but we also have to pay it off in some way. And so it leads to like Hollywood gets a little too far into it and starts mucking stuff up that are core concepts of the game and and suddenly you know it it, it kind of renders the whole thing a weird like lukewarm mush i actually i do wonder what what games do you guys think would make good adaptations because i i do have a couple of ideas that i think of things that would actually be interesting to see um i don't know what do you guys think I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, just mentioning Silent Hill, a Silent Hill two adaptation that was like well done with James Sunderland would and be awesome. Not well. They put Pyramid Head in the first one, so there, there you go already. Oh, in the first movie, yeah, in the first movie they put Pyramid Head. James Sunderland is nowhere to be found, and Pyramid Head's just kind of in there. Did they? Yes. Oh. Oh yeah. He's he's super in there. Oh uh, no. And so like exactly. I know, I know they put him in Revelations. Yeah. But like even in side note like briefly the in the game series even the series own creators have messed that up like they've this put Pyramid true. Head in games <laughs> that have nothing to do with James Sunderland. Exactly. But those were the American creators. Oh okay. Well, <laughs> if if it's the American creators, of course. Yeah. And who could forget the uh can the Canon Pachinko machine? <laughs> Yeah. Pull that lever. Um, oh, no. Yeah. It's actually, it's a goofy little thing where Konami is so, is a company that hates its own property so much that they've started selling them off and putting them into knockoffs, including like uh, Metal Gear Solid and Silent Hill being put into gambling machines and like professionally done cutscenes being made for gambling machines, which is just kind of. Wow, good job, Konami. They're, they're like really good cutscenes. Yes, they are. <laughs> really good. They, like they remasters remade, of... Yeah, they remade like the entirety of MGS3's cutscenes. That is Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. So I feel like if you wanted a TV show, you could do something really cool with XCOM. Actually, yes. That would be really cool. Because it's already got this kind of hmm. episodic format... And you have evolution of characters and growth over time for people who get sent out on these missions. And you have, especially with the more recent XCOM, you have bonds forming between different soldiers as they advance through combat uh, together. You have the the overarching story right. of the resistance against these aliens and the different, like the the... The backstory of the initial attempt right. in um, in XCOM er, in it was uh, XCOM two well in or, Enemy Within yes. and whatever the other one whatever that was the like expansion for that would be cool uh, Enemy Unknown Enemy Within so there's like that as the backstory and then the like start with the rescue of the commander at the beginning of the most recent game and 
kind of explore this world where everything has been taken over and there's this thin veneer of cooperation and helpfulness over a horribly autocratic and viciously gene-stealing alien empire that is basically just out to screw humanity. It's like uh, Man in the High Castle meets, um, God, what is that horrible show, that horrible sci-fi alien show? The Division? No. Um, Falling Skies. Falling Skies. Was that the one? Yes, that was the one. It's pretty Uh, (laughs) bad. It is like Man Man in the High Castle meets Falling Skies. I also think that it would be able to pick up on the the prevalence of death in that game and how many times you lose uh you lose teammates and how sometimes oh man the like having to see someone who panics or on a mission that would make for really good television what happens when a when a mission goes sideways or when things and start how do you get out of it oh, that's actually really cool uh, and you could do things with a TV show that you couldn't do in game like say um if the person who gets left behind is your stealth specialist. Oh, they just kind of They hide have the weeds their and, own arc yeah. where they're just trying to predict the next time you're going to hit somewhere in their area. Oh. They find a way to figure it out and then they show up of their own volition when the strike team arrives for that next mission. Right. And like help you and then hitch a ride back with you to the Avenger. Oh my God. Um, Or you could have, you know, you could have that arc where you can actually see the person, like you can follow the person who gets captured. Right. Into prison and see what the aliens are doing from the inside. And then you see the team go in and rescue them and you get a much better idea of what it's like to be that prisoner who comes back and is like, all right, now I'm going to take it to these idiots. Right. We could also potentially see the point of view of the weird, aimless civilians that are around the map. That if you walk into their line of sight, will reveal you to the enemy. But they're still civilians, so you can't hurt them. And so, like, well, you should. Right. And the, I think the game makes it so that, like, you. I don't think you can hurt them. Um, I'm no, pretty. Oh, you can totally shoot them. Really? Or at least I. I remember being like having to target past them. Okay. Or, okay. Maybe maybe they don't let you target them. Yeah, directly, you can't target them directly. But you can totally like throw explosives at them, and they'll die from that. Oh you my can, god! If they're standing next to an explosive barrel or explosive anything on the map, and you target that, they will definitely die. That's a good point. It also reminds You're penalized me of, for that of the um of the thing in XCOM where it's like. Where you put you put your units into position, and then you see like over on one of the rooftops, there's a couple of aliens, and you're like, I know, I'll bring that entire rooftop down and get rid of those aliens. I, yeah, that show would also provide us an example of like, what if there were like people in there? Are you got like, or oh man, are we the bad guys? Yeah, oh, sometimes. And you could have you could have somebody who's in a disaster like that, but survives it, a disaster that's brought on because of an XCOM attack, right. become. An antagonist. Right, and the Advent Forces come and rescue them out of the rubble. Advent rescues them, <laughs> they join, but they don't, like, they're not the one of the indoctrinated Advent soldiers, oh, so true. they're just, they're joining up because they think XCOM is wrong. And so they get thrown into combat situations with XCOM again and again and again God. until either XCOM can talk them around and show them, no, I mean, yes, what we did was awful and it it was atrocious that you got hurt because of our actions but you know 
look at what we're fighting. Right. There's such a um, there's such an incredible amount of like intersectionality. Go, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to have that person go from antagonist yeah, to, to wait a minute, what is actually going on here? Investigating the aliens on their own, yeah. realizing what's going on, and then defecting to XCOM of their own free will. And then it's XCOM that has to extend the hand of trust to someone who has multiple times hindered them and fought them at every turn. This would be amazing. God, um, all right, well, uh, now, in, now in development, we'll be writing that, and uh, we'll pitch it to Fox next season. No. Now, no, we won't. No, we won't pitch We will to pitch Fox. it to any other freaking network. We are not pitching to Fox. I know what they do to good shows. That's a good point. Cough, they, cough, firefly, cough. They do murder every good show they get. They're like the EA of shows. Um, Mike, do you have... Unless you're The Simpsons unless, and you won't let it die. Right. In which case, it's the opposite where they refuse to allow that show to stop. Yeah. And it's like, we'll stop beating that dead horse when uh, it stops being profitable. Yeah. So, if you wanted a movie... Um, yeah? Life is strange. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Is like the game is already a fantastic. It's very movie like, and like mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a huge jump. The ending might people might get a little confused by, but yes, I think it would. I think it would like especially that type of narrative focus episodic show. Um, if you were to try to put it together in a two hour format, I think it it would have some promise. I would actually. I'd love to see. Um, I'd love to see a Bioshock uh, movie. Or some kind of Bioshock show. Actually, a Bioshock show. I'd prefer that one. I like the idea of showing Rapture from the inside. Dur- excuse me, during or before the collapse. Rapture before the collapse. Going, like, at, maybe, your char- maybe your primary protagonist is a private eye who's working in Rapture. Yeah, actually, this is a DLC from Bioshock Infinite. Uh, Burial at Sea. Oh my. Yes, but we're not going to have the protagonist of that of right. the show be no Booker DeWitt absolutely Booker. not it's no. you know it's it's some random person who is a character in the universe who is not Booker um, who like gets to experience the fall and then maybe like after the fall has a new arc that might intersect with the protagonist somehow it would be interesting and I think that like I, I, the thing that I seem to keep coming to is that like all these shows the 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 only way in which they appear that they would make really good television or really good movies is if you get the chance to kind of go off and tell like a a story in the universe not necessarily and I think this is a big one of the bigger issues with it which is a lot of them suffer from having to directly translate the games into a movie or the game into a show but actually just taking the general setting and rules of the game and maybe moving them around and creating a show around those I think that would work yeah I agree with that yeah I I think that's the only way it can work because I, I think when you directly try to translate a game most of the time, like we were kind of already talking about, first of all, you get rid of player agency entirely, which with a game like Bioshock is almost the entire point. The entire game is a commentary on your agency as a player. You're being manipulated the by, whole way through. Yeah, 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 but, but by uh, Fontaine and, and yeah. you know, you don't have any actual control despite being the one controlling the game. And exactly. It's like that's... If they try to translate that to a show or movie, like directly translate the plot, all of a sudden that twist doesn't have nearly as much impact because you, why would you care? Right, and everyone would see it coming. It it, it would be akin to like making a a Fight Club 2 and everyone's like, 
okay, I, but and then doing the same reveal as Fight Club One, and everyone's like, well, but, but we knew, or like the Bioshock is so prevalent that like we we get it, we know already uh, yeah. about the yeah. first game. Yeah, and I I think you're absolutely right because people would be able to predict it generally speaking because I think we still have a much higher standard for the writing in movies and tv shows exactly so if we were to watch a bioshock show or movie we would be able to predict those things in advance because we've seen it a lot more and we've seen that quality of writing a lot more Mm. and so all of a sudden that quality of writing in a film is mediocre right while in a game it's like oh man really good and revolutionary and that's not to completely discredit bioshock i think it's a great game but I, we're still very much working our way to have these narratives be equal to what we already see in yeah, film on a yeah, regular basis. Exactly, see in, in scripts. And a lot of problems with these tie-in movies is that they just directly translate that game script, and it just, in film standards, it, isn't it, that good. That actually, that uh, that would explain why so like there's just a ton of subpar video game movies. Yeah. Like even the best ones are Yeah. Well, e- okay. even, even the ones that are able to directly translate the plot, it still just isn't very good because we have, we've built up a higher standard Got for it. that medium. And then, of course... It's just there, because it's been around longer. There are, of course, the video game movies that become, like, hilarious memes, a la Resident Evil. Yeah. Just, or just, like, everything just re- Uwe Boll's just, made. Uh, yeah. Everything Uwe, Uwe Boll's made, <laughs> which is just, like, an absurd, ridiculous, like nonsense foray into games blood rain was god awful i think it was like don't be afraid of the dark or was it alone in the dark alone in the dark alone in the dark which was just like far cry oh my god so one of the ones that i was thinking of that might actually work and this is kind of a strategy that you could apply on a wider scale but the the example i'm going to give is sins of a solar empire Ooh, what is that is a uh real-time strategy game where you take control of um, one of three interstellar empires, the Traitor Emergency Coalition, the Advent, or the Unity, mm-hmm. or the Vasari. The Traitor Emergency Coalition was originally the only... Well, I mean, it wasn't even the, the Traitor Emergency Coalition. It was just the Trade Union. Gotcha. Um, was the only group in this region of space until some time ago. Um, at, there was a movement within the Union that spawned a whole bunch of people with psionic powers and augmentation. Every time. Um, and the union was like, get out. We don't want you. We that's, hate you. You're, that's not OSHA approved. Get out of here. You're not. We don't like you. You're too different. Go away. That's fair. Banished them. Banished. Um, and then a group of aliens, the Vasari, uh-huh. arrived, and they were fleeing from the destruction of their home world. Of course. Something blew up their homeworld and wiped out their vast fleet. So these are their refugees, oh. but the trade union literally has no guns. Oh. So they're being completely overrun. They band together as the trader emergency coalition, centralize their, their control of their fleets, arm up and begin fighting back and winning. And then all of those banished people with psionic powers come back for revenge. So now you have this horrible three-way between... <laughs> this um, horrible three-way. Between 
angry aliens who are just trying to strip mine the system fast and then get out before whatever ate their homeworld catches up to them. Right. The the war between the unity and the coalition, then like you of, the... which is basically a war of revenge, and the war between the unity and the Vasari, which is basically what are you even doing here? What's going on here? Um, and That's lovely. The game has no real story to it except. It's had, like, three expansions now, and every time a new expansion comes out, they update the story a little bit to release new features. So in the first expansion, they added um, fortifications. Like, you could build interstellar bases. And it was basically the TEC and the Vasari and the um, the Advent all... Or not Advent, uh, the Unity, all digging in mm-hmm. and saying, no, this is my turf, you can't take it from me. Um, and then in the next one, we got diplomacy as everyone decided, oh, we've been at war for like 20 years. Can we just make nice at least a little bit? Yeah. Well, and then we realize, or the Fasari realize rather that they've been here too long. Oh, and they're the, the and they people. need to move. Oh, and boy. so like their faction splits and do we want like half Stick of them are like, humans. we are going to blow up all of these planets, take all the valuables and leave. The <laughs> others are like, Let's bring some of them with us. They're useful. Oh my god! Wait, um, what? That's terrible. And let's you know, blow the, up those planets, but still take some of them with us. The the emergency god, coalition what? splits on. Uh, oh, do we want um, to? Do we want to just hunker down and defend, or do we want to lash out and or, murder all of the Xenos? Or do we not um, want to die? Yes, this is fair. And the uh, the unity gets split on. Do we want to? Um, do we want to continue our quest of revenge, or do we want to sit here and be introspective for a little? Because something isn't right. Like something is corrupting the unity. Of course, um, we do have to take one quick moment. I'm sorry. You're fine. We have to. The schedule demands it, guys. We got this. The fastest weather you've ever seen. It's 69 degrees in Iowa City. But what does it feel like to you guys? I'm going to have to Please. say 69 because I can't not. All right. Mike? 72. All right. It's 66. Congratulations, what? Jim. You win again. <laughs> uh, this me. has been your weather. It's 66 degrees in Iowa City. It's dark. It's nighttime. Uh, and tomorrow looks like it's going to be mostly cloudy. And tomorrow after that, Friday, it's going to be intermittently cloudy. Hopefully not as rainy as it was today. Tomorrow's tomorrow. Tomorrow's tomorrow. Also known as two days from now. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, it will be cloudy. And hopefully not as rainy. This has been your weather. Sorry, please continue. We just, we have to at the 30 minute mark. And we've gone over in a little bit. Sorry, I talk too much. Uh, Anyway, so you can't really take game mechanics from that game and turn them into a movie. Because fleet management is not an interesting movie. (laughs) Uh, I would love two and a half hours of a dude at a screen like, oh man, where are we going to put our resources now? Oh, uh, oh, no, no, no. It's just the mouse clicking around the screen. <laughs> yeah. And a guy no just commentary. being like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but if you take the setting, you could create characters within the setting and have them experience these events from an on-the-ground perspective and give them the character arcs that you need to make an interesting movie. Like, there's at least three different movies that you could kind you of make a piece whole... into the like the the cutscenes that they release at the beginning of each game are basically the um, the trailers the trailers yeah. for movies. <laughs> so you could you could take 
those and be like, okay, so what would this movie actually look like? Who would be in it? What would who would they be and where would they be from? And you could you could build that into something really cool. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. it's an IP that nobody freaking knows well, like, about. Yeah, I've never heard of this game before in my life. But it sounds really interesting. I, I would be happy to show it to and you it's, later. And this is also one of the issues that we run up against, is that the the audience, uh, they, that's why the games that are selected are usually only the, the cream of the crop, the most noticeable, the big pop culture heavyweights. You're talking your Laura Crofts, your, uh, your Mario Brothers, your, um, oh God, your Blood Rain, which was not that great. Halo. Halo, Yes. Um, Which they haven't made. They haven't made a movies. big budget one. They've well, done animated they, features. Made, they have made a movie, sort of. Did they make a? They, 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 did, they made like a mini series. They did a mini series. Forward onto dawn, and oh. then there was something else that came out more recently. Hey, all right. Neil the f- Blomkamp, the guy who did District Nine. Oh, before he- District Nine was District Nine, it was Halo. What? And then that project got canned. And oh he my did God! District Nine instead. That's I'm. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. I actually really liked the Forward Unto Dawn short story. Really? I was impressed. Yeah? Why it, were you impressed? What the about the special it? effects? Or you're talking about the story specifically, not the I'm I'm talking about the story. I mean the, the special it was a it was a gorgeous thing and it fit really well in the Halo yeah, mythos. It was well for done. That. Um but I was also just really impressed with the way that they kind of created people in that universe and made and gave them um, gave them an arc in a way that we have never had NPCs in the Halo universe have arcs before. Right, yeah. It wasn't about the Spartans or Master Chief, which was cool, but then, of course, he showed up. Master Chief end. shows up, and the other Spartans show up <laughs> briefly, but yeah. the story's not about them. It's about Last But I think it does become about them. Well, that's the thing. It's like that's, it, it is the same thing. It's like, if you have a Warcraft movie, you gotta show Gul'dan. If you don't show Gul'dan, all your fans are gonna be like, what's going on? Or they don't show... Um, God, I'm sorry. You're gonna. What is some uh, Medivh? You gotta show Medivh. You gotta show. I don't know. Anduin? Yes. You gotta show Anduin. They did technically show An. No, they? they showed Varian. We're still two generations back. Oh, oh, sweet merciful heavens. See, but like you need to in order to market it, and and in order for a video game to be put forward, it's like we gotta show we gotta show Laura Croft with her iconic guns and outfit. We gotta show uh, Mario Brothers with that um, that movie was god awful. But like we gotta show Koopas or Goombas or something, which uh, oh. um, it was very bad. Yeah. But, it, 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 there, there needs to be a huge selling point, and that's the thing that I that upsets me with a lot of this is that like, I, and like that's the thing is that video games do not necessarily have to be translated into movies. They don't. It, there is no. They don't need to be. Uh, it, it helps it and enriches like my appreciation of the game, but it really has no effect on on the game, or maybe it makes it more. You know, people know more about it. But Honestly, that little short. That the the forward unto dawn short. Mm-hmm. When I finally ran into Lasky in game, I was like, oh, "Wait, I know you." Oh, okay. Because um, well, you go. you do run into him when you're playing through as Master Chief, and you know that's you running into him the second time effectively. And you, if you play through just the game, if you don't watch Forward Unto Dawn, when he comes to you and says, "Hey, I remember you. You are the reason I joined up." It basically means nothing to you as the player. It's right, like, like that's sweet, but I don't remember you. Whatever. You could have been any of 
ungodly numbers of people that I have saved. Master Chief just palms his face out of the way. <laughs> but when you've actually seen Forward Unto Dawn and you hear this and you see the Master Chief just kind of stand there silently and Lasky talking at him and just kind of thanking him for saving Lasky's life because he really does mm-hmm. in Forward Unto Dawn. Lasky is helpless. Um, it... It, it gives you a bit of more appreciation for just what kind of situation Master Chief is in by the end of the war, which is not a good one mentally. No. It's, it's not great. And I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed by this. We do have to take a, a quick break in which we will show a message. Uh, we'll be like right back after this. And we're back. Lovely. Um, so yeah, I, I, and to, to kind of bring this back all around for the Alan Wake, uh, show it, it, this does give me hope. Uh, it, it actually, I think that, uh, this will help, uh, video games in the same way that book adaptation or movie adaptations of books help to kind of raise up films and make them like, Ooh, look, it's, it's actually a really interesting and thought provoking interpretation of, uh, of this, um, and like movies are able to achieve that. I, I think that by doing that, people will be able to say like, oh, this video game is actually uh, pretty interesting. And the the creators that were working on it, uh, I like what they've done with the lore. And I think that there's like some narrative merit to this video game. And I might go play Alan Wake. And they say that if it goes well, there are hopes of potentially an Alan Wake 2 uh, being created. Uh, I know there was Alan Wake American Nightmare, but... Uh, that was, I think, was a like, DLC. That was a DLC, yeah. yes. Um, but the, if, if enough interest is, uh, created from it. And I also did want to take a quick moment to address, uh, <laughs> quantum breaks thing where it attempted to mix a show and a game into a single thing. So you'd be playing the game and then the game would stop and they'd show you a 30 minute episode in the middle of your gameplay. Um, and how that actually led to a huge backlash with the, with a lot of players uh, because it felt kind of like it had Lance Reddick. It had a ton of really well-known actors. It was expertly shot. It was shot like a real television show. And the but the problem was that it was within a video game. In my opinion, I think that it uh, it suffered from a lot from stifling its own uh, tempo because after each segment of gameplay, they would break immersion completely, interrupt the quantum gameplay. break. They it. would. <laughs> They would quantum quantum break your immersion. Got quantum broken uh, as they would then haul you back in time and show you the story you just played through, except from a different point of view. Which again is interesting, but I don't like having to be pulled away from a game in order to see it. And I, I I don't know. I dislike it, and I actually think that's why I think that when when it comes to adaptations of a video game, I think that shows and movies should actually divorce themselves, uh, not completely, but far from the initial story of the game i think you should tell a different story in the same universe but telling the story in the game kind of defeats the purpose so what is what is a cut scene then what's a really long cut scene like what is metal gear solid 4 for example uh i don't ever that just like quantum break that's true but i mm, there's like hard cuts and like the animation like it goes from game cutscene animation to yeah, humans to, to actual like and live I can, television and then i'm like oh okay now we're fully out of yeah. the game 
But isn't that what they're going for with, like, photorealistic cutscenes? True, but until the game's technology reaches that point where I can't distinguish between that and a live television show, which, by the way, that'll be weird. Um, I don't think that's possible, but that'll be weird if it does ever happen. Yeah. Uh, it, it still makes that, that movement and that departure pretty jarring. It's It's a little bit more jarring, I agree, but I think it's the same concept. Sure. It's still just a. It's just a cutscene. Maybe, maybe in and that people case, people don't like cutscenes. Maybe what I'm trying to say is that do. someone who puts hours of cutscenes in a game is just being lazy and should make movies instead. Hideo, Hideo Kojima. Kojima. <laughs> Hideo Kojima. You made. By the way, I broke your game, Hideo Kojima. <laughs> I um yeah, Hideo Kojima. Actually, he's a fantastic exa- example of how of of a game designer who desperately desperately who wants, wants to, to be write. a filmmaker oh my god him and david cage who create stories and are and operate and try to push themselves as narrative designers but as like filmmakers or directors like when a hideo kojima game comes up his name shows up in the opening credits of the game in big letters that says directed by hideo kojima in the same way david cage's games have like directed by david cage and so I think that I, I really do think we should try to free up these people and allow Hideo and allow David to try to uh, make some shows or some movies or something. Just please stop putting it in the games because it kind of distracts from the games, guys. Um, but yes, and that is that has been my little rant. But I, I do think that those two are pretty prominent examples of like there's there's definitely people in the industry who want to change or want to do these differences in uh in form but we don't we we haven't reached it yet we haven't gotten to the point where it's like video game stories on par with uh with uh what is it film television yeah no sorry so one of the things that has been really interesting about the most recent world of warcraft expansion battle for azeroth is the amount of exterior media tie-in they've been doing okay what kinds um we have had so we had three videos called Warbringers, which were um, animated animated short videos, each of them probably eight to ten minutes long. Um, the animation is kind of like stop motion or stop frame. So you'll see one image wherein almost nothing is moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll flash to a different image again in which almost nothing is moving. And it just like, it moves through these stopped frames, um, with music and narration and dialogue being piped to the player, um, or to the viewer rather, um, and goes through a moment in the life of the character that it's following. So the first three that we had were, um, Jaina Proudmoore and... Uh, Sylvanas Windrunner and yeah. Queen Ashara. Who is um, I, I? I know like uh, Jaina is a mage. Sylvanas is like a rogue. Sylvanas is the Dark Ranger. She's the Queen of the Forsaken. Well, okay, yep, um, there we go. And Ashara is the Queen of the Naga, who are uh, they used the to be sea people? They used to be high elves, and then Ashara made tried to make a well no she made a she successfully made a deal with Sargeras who's the leader of the Burning Legion which is basically the equivalent of demons and devils in this universe that's a great idea she made a deal with them it was like come to our world and give me power and I will give you everything you want 
um, she was foiled by some of her own subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was cast down into the sea as the world kind of broke apart under her mm-hmm. as her spell that was supposed to summon Sargeras unraveled. Whoops. And so in order to not die and in order to save all of the people who were cast down with her, she made a deal with a dark god sleeping on the floor oh, of the ocean. with Cthulhu Or yogg Saron? Uh, Hope's End? Neither of those. One of um, them, but like probably. One of their brethren. Cool. Um, and was like, just make us into fish people, dog. Well, didn't she didn't. Well. She didn't specify what she wanted. Oh, to Oh, she was like, into. oh no, was she just like save us? She well, no. Huh? The the watch the video if you want to know what she Fair. said. The point here is that they did these three videos, which yes, they appear as cutscenes in the game, but the first place they appeared was offline, right? And you would go watch them and then go what, and then you'd go play. I see. Um, there was another video that came out, um, like two hours before launch or like a day before launch it's called old soldier Mm -hmm. and by that point we know that um the horde attacked one of the alliance's capital cities gotcha at the behest of sylvanas who is currently war chief and so the alliance was like we need to remove sylvanas's war chief which means we're going to attack her capital so the alliance gathered all of their forces and hiked to lordaeron to besiege it and take it from her. I'm really... I do not know about any of the places you are talking about. That's fine. I'm sorry. It's her capital city. Anyway, they set up a siege line, and the video takes place in the wee hours of the morning right before the commencement of the Alliance's attack. I see. So you have this character, uh, Varrock Sourfang, who's this old, old orc who's seen it all. Yeah. And he is tired of it and he's getting too old for this nonsense he never quite says those words but yes um he is pulling off his armor and getting ready to basically walk out to the alliance camp before the battle starts and engage them in what he views as honorable combat so that they will kill him because he is tired of fighting for causes he does not believe in like sylvanas's horde okay but that's a weird that's an awesomely compelling story a single horde soldier who we have never seen before except we sort of have more on that later or more on that if you ever watch the videos maybe gotcha. um a single horde soldier comes up to him and says and, and starts engaging him in conversation and trying to like talk him down not talk him down at first just figure out what he's doing and why All right. and Eventually, yes, he does try to talk him around. He fails and decides, all right, then I'm going with you. And so the two of them are walking out together into the teeth of the Alliance camp, basically getting ready to commit suicide when Sourfang tells him, go back, kid. You've got something to live for. And it's too late for me, kid. Don't don't give up. And Save yourself. The, the the troll says what like you. <gasps> oh my! And so like there's there's that moment of story where he convinces Sourfang. No, this actually isn't the honorable action. And I, I so is that is that necessary to go forward in the game? Or is that just like no cool? It like, means literally nothing. It see, just it it is only a moment of development for Sourfang and for that other soldier. And this is that that specific thing is what I think every adaptation of a video game should do. That was kind of what I wanted to get at. Was that that's what Warcraft is doing right now? That's what Blizzard is doing. They're creating these tie-in media 
that don't follow the main story, that don't follow the players as adventurers, that follow other characters in their off-screen interactions right. in fascinating ways that add depth to the game but aren't necessary to view as a player. They just enrich your experience. I like that. Same thing we had with Forward Unto Dawn. You don't need to see it to play Halo it gives 4 you, or 5 or whichever one it was. Oddly enough, it gives you an, appreciate, an appreciation for one of the games that came before it or, or like uh, something that going back and you're like, oh yeah, this character. Oh him. Yes, I do like him. But that's lovely. And we, yeah, that ended up going for longer than I thought it would. I'm very sorry happy. about that. No, that's no, I meant this whole topic. I, I, oh. I thought we were just going to qu- quickly do video game movie tie-ins or show tie-ins. But like we ended up. No, this is, going this to, is kind of my jam. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fan fiction is a thing. Yeah, fan fiction is a great thing. And I, it's one of the things I love about uh, games and I love about modding. I, I want, <laughs> I at some point in my life, I want to be able to do like authorized fanfics. Right, just work for Blizzard. And just, you can, just, I'll work for Blizzard and, and just write, write fiction, like small fiction in their world. What is it? It'll just great. Just write fiction, but suddenly it's canon. Um, exactly, it'd be great. And so um, there, is a, there is a bit of a pivot that I did want to, to move to uh, off of games and off of uh the 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 new announcement of uh tie-ins and i wanted to talk a bit about vr we did discuss vr a bit a couple weeks back um but i did want to bring this up because i thought it was kind of interesting uh htc uh defended it defended the fact that vr was in a tailspin by stating that uh let's see they posted statistics claiming its market share was growing following a digital trends article that suggested the virtual reality market was in decline. However, as digital trends later countered, HTC Vive leading the market said market being in decline are not mutually exclusive. So it when when they asked for HTC Vive or HTC's uh, evidence that the VR market was not in a tailspin, the H, HTC said they didn't have it or that they refused to show it. Um, which seems a little, I don't know, distressing. Um, it would suggest that not only is the H, not only is VR in a tailspin, which again, like, yes, this is true. It is, it is in decline. Um, but I, I, I do wonder, like, what is, what do you think is the idea behind HTC trying to say, like, no, 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 we're not in a tailspin. Don't worry about it. Like, but, but we can all clearly see it in a tailspin. We know it's in decline. It's not a. It's not like a secret. I, I don't know why. For what reason do you think that they would? What reason do you do you think they would have to do something like this? I'm not sure. But what, what was that bit about? Did the article say so, something about HTC and the so market, the dis- VR market? Yeah. So despite, not being mutually exclusive. Yes. Them being uh, in a tailspin. The outlet decline. Uh, Leading the market and said market said the market being in decline. Uh, so HTC Vive leading the market and the market in decline are not mutually exclusive. The outlet then criticized HTC Vive for not offering up solid data to support its claims. We rely so like according to the Digital Trends editor, they, we relied upon Amazon's rankings because the companies making VR headsets have kept quiet. And HTC, Oculus, or Sony could easily dis- disprove skeptics if they shared outstanding sales figures, but they have instead chosen to play coy, providing relative measures like market share, revenue share, or lifetime total sales. Okay. So it was HTC stating, don't worry, we are an industry leader, and everyone else going, but 
why don't you show us evidence? But Solid yeah. evidence. But if they're just, they're just denying their tanking, part. Yeah. Being the leader means nothing. Right. They're denying the fact that they're part of the market that is in decline. Exactly. Which is like, but, but it is in decline. Yeah. We know it's in decline. And so... Uh, this is, I think, one of the one of the huge issues surrounding a lot of VR. Um, by the way, for those of you joining us at the top of the hour, you're listening to 89.7 FM, Carry UI. Uh, this is Pixel Hunt, a show about video game news, controversy, and critical analysis. I'm your host, Malcolm Cano. Joining me are Michael Carl and Jim Baker. Uh, for any of you joining us at the top of the hour, sorry. Um, and we are currently discussing a bit about the HTC, the makers of the Vive, or a VR headset um, that is specifically like a VR is is in the past couple of months slash year been in general decline as uh, a lack of new games and increasingly difficult uh, setup problems, uh, specifically like the cost of the headset, the space requirements for utilizing the headset, the lack of a distinct uh, and unique games library for the HTC Vive really doesn't justify how expensive it is. All of these things kind of come together and make it a little more difficult for the HT Vive to sell well. Um, so yeah, sorry. As uh, as we were saying, it is uh, one of the issues surrounding a lot of the HTC Vive stuff is that it is a it is an industry that is kind of it is it is definitely in decline and it's having trouble with its own technological limitations as vr typically has but it seems to be like refusing to to acknowledge them i mean i also think even saying that the market is in decline now is an exaggeration i feel like it's a market that never got off the ground right and well to say it's in decline is to say like it's just not it's exactly it hasn't been doing well since it came about yeah since 2013 2014 it's it's always been floundering or like well yeah more more gimmick based than anything and there have been a few outstanding uh experiences beat saber uh vr uh uh what is it super hot vr people actually really enjoyed uh what is it some of the uh la noir vr because you could (laughs) you could do whatever uh they there's a video that I found on on this site specifically about uh, storytelling in uh, in LA Noir VR, and it's just a, a video of people like putting their hands onto NPCs as they're talking, or like putting their pencil like in the ear of a of an NPC, and the NPC not doing anything. Like there's a moment where your strict, very Irish uh, police chief tells you to get back in and like get a confession out of someone, and while he's saying that. It's someone just like tapping on the bald spot on the front of his head. Um, and so like for all its gimmickiness and it's very fun, um, it does not necessarily justify, uh, what is it, like 30 feet of, or 30 square feet of, or not 30 square feet, but like 10 square feet of space and a four or $500 price tag, mm-hmm. which like already. And a beefy computer. And a beefy computer or yeah, exactly, and like not a lot of games um, because and, and I know that we've seen this. But there's actually a really, and I would highly suggest you guys go see this, even if even though it's uh, satire. But there's a YouTuber online that uh, has done a YouTuber called Crowby Cat that did a video on VR and VR in decline, where they make fun of the fact that a lot of VR games are subpar, and that VR, despite being this really 
people are really excited about it and being really imaginative kind of jokes about how it actually ends up hitting a lot of snags and glitches. See, in that video, that video is like four years old. That video is four years old, but a lot of the issues <laughs> and it's still, still persist. Yes. Yeah, which is why it, it never got off the ground. It's always been just I, I, not as bad as Virtual Boy back in the well, 90s, yeah. of well, course. At least it's not like a giant red filter put it's in front of It's functional to a degree, but there's still no market. There's still not a, a price tag that is palatable for most consumers right including the parts you need to actually play these things there isn't a user-friendly interface for people who just want to get into the industry right uh because you have to build a computer basically in order to even run some of the games yeah and obviously yeah not a lot of games support it because it's really difficult to make games in vr yes i mean if you think about like most developers won't make games that support SLI. That is two graphics cards running at once and splitting the GPU load. Right. In most order developers, to images. Most developers won't do that. If they won't do that, why are they going to make a game for VR? Right. Because it's, it's like, obviously, yeah. it's already very difficult to optimize games for simple things, or at least simpler things like SLI. Not saying it's Exa- easy. Right. And I don't know that much, honestly. But... Compared to VR, that's obviously relatively simple. So why on earth would big name developers put their time and money into something that will not even get them that much revenue? Right, and doesn't have an audience. Make people buy yeah. another copy of their game, which they're probably not going to do, and just put all their time into making that. They're not going to do it. Exactly, and they haven't. Except like Bethesda, right? Which and. That's it. It was Bethesda. Bethesda is the only. Yeah, Bethesda is one of the few AAA publishers that has actually put into it with their Skyrim, with their Fallout. Yeah, Skyrim and Fallout are the two that I know that they did. Was that actually Bethesda or was that just the community? Oh, Doom. No, that was Bethesda. Bethesda released Fallout 4 VR. They released Skyrim VR. They released Doom VR, which actually, like, pretty good, too. Um, And so those. And and Bethesda seems to be the only one that's really doing it. But this is a huge issue because, like,. I, if they're unfortunately, as much as I enjoy, you know, put, pushing up and holding up games like Super Hot or indie indie developed games that really showcase some really imaginative and really inventive game mechanics in VR, like it's not going to become a thing unless the technology is cheaper or AAA uh, publishers or AAA developers start giving us a reason to want to do VR, because um, currently there isn't one. It requires. It is one of the issues plaguing a lot of it. Is that like the and I think that HTC and I think Oculus and a lot of these other companies are hitting kind of the wall where it's like Sony's like, oh, we want to get in on, we do want to get in on on VR, but there's not enough of a market to really make money off of VR because it's so small. And, so, and the the investment cost required to make a game huge. for it would be so high. It's astronomical. Especially if you wanted to make a AAA game, something that, that looks that good, and have it run in VR. Right. The it, amount it's of like, animation and rendering you would have to do on a, like, every second would overtax the bejesus out of most people's computers. It is one of the difficulties because in VR, it's like, and this is one of the funny issues in, in LA Noir VR, is that players would pass through walls by walking over to them and just putting their heads through the wall uh it also raises a point where it's like in a video game that isn't vr 
you can get so close to you can only get so close to certain Im- like textures or places but in 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 um VR games it starts to get into this weird third dimensional space where it's like I can just shove my head into a uh, into a wall if I want to and to stop me from getting motion sick the developer has turned off collision with my head model and the wall because there's a there's like you really don't want your players to get sick while playing it but as a result like I clip I can just clip my view through the entire game and like undo a ton of work to try to make it look good and try to run well because I don't know VR is stickier it it puts your play it puts the players really really far into the into the game development like space so that you do, you you aren't just like interacting there's usually an area of uh, a degree of separation where it's you the player playing on a controller that is then connected to a character in the game instead it cuts off that controller and suddenly it's like you're just kind of in the game and you can start messing about with stuff but because the world is not physical right and you are you can kind of break it exactly. in ways that we haven't had to, the developers haven't had to worry about. Yeah, before. you've never had to worry about a character putting their face through a wall before because they, not without console commands, right. which are cheating anyway. Exactly. So like it, it used to be back in the day, you just put up a, a, a what is it, an invisible wall and stop, uh, and stop your player from going through it. But nowadays you you can't. It's impossible. Um, and so I think that the I, I don't know where do you, what do you think needs to happen in order for for uh, developers to move forward with this what do you think needs to i don't know i I think like the cost of entry needs to go way down we need to figure someone needs to figure out a way to make the the technology for vr more affordable somehow so one of the things that strikes me and i i don't know how feasible this would be necessarily but it it seems like it might be a possible short-term solution Mm -hmm. um so before video games were a thing that most people could afford to put in their own homes, it's true. They were a thing that were that was put in businesses, and you would go to an arcade. This is true, which had plenty of space. It was corporate. It was you know it was space specifically set aside for this. It hmm. was not space that you had to set aside in your home. It was something that you know, um, your everyday Joe could say, okay, I'm gonna go play. Uh, for a couple of hours at the arcade. Right. And you'd put a few quarters down and you'd play for however long you could keep those quarters going. Mm-hmm. And then you'd go home. And the, the people who actually owned the technology would make money not on the technology itself, but on the time that they were selling on it to other people. So if you created a VR cafe, say, yeah, where you a have arcade. a bunch of different, yeah, a VR arcade where you have a bunch of different, like, and this is going to start sounding a little creepy, but stalls. Um, <laughs> yes. You jack into your give up machines. Um, yes. But yes. Um, you, you basically, you create little stalls or barns or, or whatever you want to call them. Corrals. Corrals, where people go in, put on the headset, and just fiddle around in VR for a couple of hours. That would be kind of Pay, cool. you know, $20, $30 for it. Um, and they're, you're, basically, you're lending out time on these things for money. And suddenly, you have a market. Yeah. And uh, suddenly, you have people, accessible. You have people who would buy it you had a people who would buy the games who would buy the technology who are the businesses who are then going to sell time on that technology to 
everyday consumers who can't maybe can't afford to just buy it outright or who don't have the space in their home to make it feasible. Um, and suddenly there's a market for it, which pushes developers into making content, which pushes engineers into streamlining the technology, which pushes programmers into streamlining the the software right. developing new and really engaging uh, engaging games which then leads and to... suddenly you have a market that's kind of like what we had for um Cap- screen-based games right. Cabinets, with capcom yeah. and um and nintendo back <clears> when <throat> you know it was all cabinets mm-hmm. and it was you know you would go to the arcade because who's gonna put a cabinet in their home Unless, for one game. Exactly. I, that's actually, I think that's a fantastic point. And I think you've hit on something that's, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I actually looked up, do you guys want to guess how much the Atari 2600 was initially? Like what its introductory price was? It was Take, like $500, $600. Uh, well, oh, uh, when it released in 1977 uh, and 1992, or yeah, 1977 and 1992, it says that its introductory price was 199 US dollars at the time, which was equivalent to $800 in 2017. Yeah. Like, yeah. Imagine, ima- talk about a barrier for entry. Imagine getting an Atari 2600, like that thing. For in eight, the 70s? For eight, but exactly. So like, and I think that's how we're going to end up viewing VR, where it's like, oh my God, they were asking for $400 for what that? Like, you know, uh, the ability to swing from branches? Like, there's not there's not enough there. Right. But if you put it in a space that will maintain it for you and give you limited access to it and charge for the time, then suddenly you have a business model that works that gives people a reason, a monetary reason to want to develop the technology and to want to develop games for it. Absolutely. See, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel I feel wary of that. Why is that? Business model. I, I don't know if game developers would move in, well, actually, more specifically, game publishers or, uh, like, HTC or Oculus, owned by Facebook now. I don't know if they would move in that direction because I think it's... It's kind of regressive. I mean, it's like we're going back to the 1980s where you would do the same thing. You would go to a public mall. And no, not even that. And you would use a virtual reality headset with the the guns. Oh, my God. Yeah, Yeah. one of those. Way back in the... Yeah, a long Uh, time ago. But it would also be like an arcade, which I think is a cool idea. But I don't know if it would be financially stable because we don't live in those times anymore where people go to arcades because they don't need to. Well, the reason people went to arcades, the the necessity of them was because people couldn't afford the Atari. This is true. And people can't afford VR, which is a similar situation, but they also have games. I would also like to, and they can play games and they're probably going to play those over VR instead of going out. I would like to counter that. With the uh, recently what has come, what has become widely popular is the barcade, um, and I think in that scenario maybe VR would excel. Also, maybe don't be drunk when you're in the VR machine. But I mean, but can't you see like a, a good VR drinking game yeah, being that, a lot of fun? This is no keep having. Imagine having keep talking and no one explodes in a bar. How cool would that be? A, a, a cooperative VR game in which someone could like necessarily like sit down at a table and still operate the mechanics, 
but in the in the setting of a bar. And I think so. While I agree that an arcade will not, I I I I, I see your point, and I agree that an arcade would have difficulty selling solely on the fact that it's just like, hey, the only allure here is that we have VR, and that's the only thing we have. But I think a barcade, which is like, hey, come in here and hang out with your friends, and by the way, we have some VR back here that you can play if you want. You could but still. How do you sell the necessity of it with something like Keep Talking? You don't need VR. This is true. With any other game, it probably wouldn't be good in a bar. I we, think Keep Talking would be like a good public event. Sure. You don't need VR though. Okay, so I guess so we need you to... just need it up on a screen where one person can see it and everybody else in the bar participates. It's true. You could um, bundle it into existing internet cafes. Those are, I mean, they're not a huge thing here in the States, yeah. but they're massive um, in China and Japan. Yeah, that's true. So if you start, Korea. if you start, yeah, China, Japan, Korea. So if you start putting um, like, like a little VR room in the back of every internet cafe, that might it be- might take a while to catch on, but I'm pretty sure it would catch on eventually. And then you could expand those facilities and improve them. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you might not start with a full-out VR arcade, but you might wind up there eventually if there's enough demand for it. This is true. And I, I agree. Like, it's it, it, there's a whole bunch of limiting reagents where it's like, okay, but we need a really good game. And we also need cheap hardware. And we also need, like, the demand. And we also need the audience and accessibility. If we want it to be something lot. that goes into people's homes, yes. But the, the barriers to entry get a little bit easier to surmount if it's, you know, corporate owned and in public spaces. This is true. And I think that there is definitely, we, there is the possibility for it. I, I'm, I think that in the future, VR, while it is hitting a snag now, and it, it's certainly having difficulty getting up off of the ground, I think it will hit its stride eventually. But again, like I bet people have said that in the 80s. Or it's Honestly, like, sure VR will get a, come along soon. We, we have... We have put so much of our time and effort into imagining VR yes. at this point that I don't think humanity is going to stop until they get something we're, that works. Like we spent dream. until we got the brain jacks. I want the brain jacks. We spent so much time. We we, we had the the holodeck in Star Trek. That's we true. We had you know all of these different iterations We've and grown imaginations up with these of VR. VRs. There's no way that we're going to stop trying like somebody's gonna keep trying until they get it right as prevalent as like freaking uh colonies on mars are to um, to like sci-fi and to human ambition like as sure as that's there like i'm sure we'll figure out vr eventually or do something or you know what maybe we'll just become a technological dystopia and i'll just jack into the matrix or something i don't know who knows maybe we're in the matrix right now Maybe we're in the, the, the best-selling VR game that is life. General life. You can't see it, but I'm feeling the back of my head for a, That's a right. jack. I don't find anything. It's a game in which you can do anything, even live your own life. And we're just kind of in it. And now. that's actually all you can That's do, right. Live I'm, your own life. And, we're all just ah. in a we're in a VR simulation <laughs> that is our minds. Can I get logged over into the Warcraft VR? Exactly. That that's, would be lovely. Imagine, I mean, it would hurt a lot. I would die a bunch, but it would be fun too. Yeah, just put, it's not part of the life simulation. <laughs> See, that's not possible in the life simulation. Yeah, we, we had the dis- we we were so unlucky we got put into the second life VR. We didn't get put into the cool VRs where all the cool kids hang out. <laughs> Dang it. 
Um, yeah, and VR chat. VR chat. All that's the cool a, kids are in VR chat. That's another thing I wanted to bring up because they discussed the fact that VR chat was such this this weird flash in the pan that had nothing. It was like all you got to do was talk to people and put make your avatar uh, something. But yeah. people started creating these weird like. Uh, gatherings and clubs people started making like comedy clubs people started making specific rooms that were the dark parts of vr chat where we do not go ever because that's where like the weird memes resided we don't go to raven home yeah we don't go yeah exactly you'd be like father what's that dark part of vr chat and you're like oh that's the restricted zone son we don't go there um so yes we and i and i think that i hope that the community around VR is strong enough and will maintain enough that we eventually hit something of substance. Something of substance, I hope. I mean, I feel like the that, that flash in the pan you're talking about is actually a good step. Right, several that, flashes in the pan. That people want to use this space even when there's nothing in it that's but true. what you bring to it that's, that tells you something everyone was well that's the thing it's like it, like the the candle that dirt burns twice as bright burns half as long and boy did vr chat like fizzle like mm. quickly um after the ugandan knuckles thing it kind of just died it, yeah it was all that was keeping it alive really yeah exactly it was a, a weird ridiculous meme fill like a meme horrible like just debauchery all over the place ridiculousness absurdity and then when that kind of fell out of fashion it fizzled out but i think again i agree i think multiple flashes in the pan are a precursor to sustained fire in this pan which is what we want for some reason yeah this this metaphor got away from us that's a weird saying but yes exactly I, i i think that VR chat is a is a is a quintessential example of what could be and potentially how if we if they manage to find the killer VR app what we could be looking at we could be looking at something like really big um a la you know and I just can't wait for ready player one when we can just give up on our lives jump on into the you know plug into Warcraft Oasis yeah put me in the put me in the Warcraft VR and like let me just do that for the rest of my days um tracer will be there tracer yeah oh hey maybe yeah i guess yeah you weren't in the book but you're in the movie trailer that's for yeah for those overwatch fans (laughs) tracer's cool right guys it's actually those are the exact lines of dialogue spoken by an executive in the movie like when they were putting together the movie they're like and what if we put tracer in there tracer's cool with the kids right and, they were, and some guy like was like, Just whatever, like, what man. What is Tracer? <laughs> what is Tracer? And they're like, exactly. <laughs> what the kids are into these days. <laughs> um, absolutely. And so, yeah, we, we, we have a few more minutes. Um, all right, I want, there's, there's one last thing that I wanted to bring up very quickly. Um, and I, we might just be able to have a small discussion about this, which we may continue on, but we'll see. Uh, the first uncensored adult game on Steam was pulled from sale in 28 countries. Despite Steam revising its uh, game filters and providing an adult content tab and filter for its games, there is a game that is actually, it's called uh, Nedjali Love Stories? Okay, from developer Darker Studios, um, has been pulled from uh, 28 different countries. 
according to censorship laws. Um, and so uh, the question I wanted to ask was, are, are they, especially because it's on an online platform like Steam, do these, do, like, can it even be pulled from being sold in these countries if it's, it's a digital marketplace? Uh, why in the world, like, and Steam has accounts for this and provides a tab in which, like, the games can be sold. So why is it being pulled now? I it's never up to Steam what what countries allow to be sold within their borders. But I but mean it, it never has been. If that's the case, so like in May, Valve advised developers to censor content of such games appearing on on Steam or have them removed. However, earlier this month, Valve began began approving sexual games after implementing an adult-only filter. So, but despite this, darker studios can still be found viable if Valve is fine for distribution of sexually explicit games in countries where content is censored. And as such, the, the developer has been forced to halt all sale of the game. So, the, the question is, like, what... I... The, it, it gets kind of sticky, because on the yeah. one... Yeah, yes. Yes. On the one hand, you have... Uh, Valve that is technically distributing the game and can be fined, but still holding the developers liable, even though Valve said, "Hey, you can put these games up." Why would you? Why would Valve allow for an adults-only category when there's the potential for it to fine or censor developers? It, it, I just find it—it it seems paradoxical. Why not just say, like, "No, you can't put these games up because we could potentially be fined." Because there's always the the chance that that doesn't happen—that it is allowed in other countries. Hmm. I don't know. Do you think that uh, what do you, do you think that these games should be allowed up uh, as long as they say that like, hey, this game contains adult content? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, on Steam, it's up to their platform to to put whatever they want on it, right? But then, similarly, you know, Steam is available all around the world. But if you live in a country that doesn't allow that game, then you can't play it. All right, here's a question. <laughs> What if I what if I'm a, a tourist and I go to a country where it's banned and I like on my laptop that I bought and like I, I don't live in that country and I try to download the game and you know Valve gets fined it's like uh, but I don't know there's something that bothers and it's on them it's on them for putting it on their, right but like they accept ge- the risk geographic location is such a weird thing for a digital marketplace like I I, I just find it weird that that's what's coming into play like it, yeah. I guess that's true, but I, just because it's digital doesn't mean that it's like this laissez-faire, everyone gets access. This is true. It's it's just not how the world works. It's not how it's ever worked. And I mean, unless we can all unite together. The proletariat <laughs> rises up and yeah, like, seizes you know, the because, means because, of protection. I, I think that's the attitude that's necessary for it to be like an actual digital like neutral net it just can't work that way i agree uh and like where it needs to well that and then it gets into the weird part of like well different countries have different standards and different sensors and filters and so like it yeah it it, it, the 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 digital marketplace in this case like has highlighted one of the issues we have which is like suddenly it's, it's super easy to get content of all different types immediately um and it doesn't have to pass through a a country's like a country can't be like, oh, we're going to stop the sale of this game because it, it's as simple as I have a Steam profile and I'm in this country and I'm going to purchase it on a Steam profile. Um, 
And so, and, and then Valve will get fined. Exactly. The, yeah. Right. And so, well, and I mean, there also are potential bans. You can't have it. So, uh, if someone wants to get something on console, then it won't even be sold in that country. You know, it won't true. get distributed there, and they can't get it. But I mean, people pirate these things anyway. Exactly. So I don't know. I I, I think that it 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 leaves certainly a lot up. Um, so on that note, we are going to kind of close it in, wind down a little bit. Do you guys have anything else to say to the nice people before we head off? Have a lovely evening. Watch Forward Unto... What is it? Forward Unto Forward Dawn. Dawn. Go watch Forward Unto Dawn. It's great. If you're a Warcraft player, even if you only ever like played Warcraft 2 or Warcraft 3, go watch the Warbringers videos. Absolutely. And if you enjoyed what you heard here, you can find me on Twitter at Hunt. Or you can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash pixel hunt radio show. Uh, and these uh, episodes, episode one and two, are up on SoundCloud. And this episode will also be going up on SoundCloud. So if you want to listen to any prior episodes of Pixel Hunt, anything we've talked about in the past, it will be up there. Um, unfortunately, we have a limit to how much time we can put up. So uh, two episodes at a time is our limit. So the first episode will go down, but we'll still have number two and this episode going up. So... Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us. Uh, We love what we do, and we love being able to talk with you. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a nice evening.